Hi everyone, welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast with me, Phil Saker. Today we are continuing our series on Revelation. We have a sermon on the next part of Revelation looking at the witness of the church. And that's Revelation chapter 10 verse 1 to chapter 11 verse 14. And you might like to have a read of that before listening to the sermon. Just before we get on to that, let me tell you that the Lord's Prayer series is continuing. That is on YouTube, not on the podcast, unfortunately, only available on YouTube. And this week we thought about give us today our daily bread and what that teaches us about prayer. So do have a look at that if you're interested and think about maybe sharing it with someone who might be interested as well. Also, if you would like to become a supporter of Understand the Bible, then you can become a Patreon And that's just a way of giving a little bit of money each month to support Understand the Bible. And the link for that is down in the description below. Alternatively, there are other ways of supporting too. And you can see all of those things in the description. So thanks so much for listening, everyone. I hope that you enjoy and appreciate the sermon. And I hope that it's a blessing to you today. So uh, last week we were looking at uh, Revelation chapters 8 and 9 and we were thinking about how all of the chaos, the suffering, all of the natural disasters, all of those things that happen in the world are, are like a warning. And it's a warning to, uh, for the world to repent before the judgment. And um, it says at the end of chapter 9, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. And so that's where we got to at the end of uh, last week. So you might have been thinking then, um, as a result of that, well, where is the church? Where are God's people in all of this? Because it doesn't really talk about that very much. It seems to be from the perspective of the world. So what are the church doing? So that's really what we're looking at in this, uh, this time and this week. Uh, Revelation chapters 10 and then sort of halfway through chapter 11 is actually looking at God's people and their role um, in all of this. So what should the church be doing? And, um, and this is what it says. So um, we have a, it starts out with a mighty angel who came down from heaven. And the angel, it looks, there's echoes there of the description of Jesus, aren't there? And I don't know if you, you noticed that as we were going through. It, it talks about a rainbow above his head, his face like the sun, um, and um, uh, the, the, the roar of a lion, as well as a shout like the roar of a lion. It sounds very much like Jesus, and I think we are supposed to, to, to notice that. I don't know that this is actually, though, the Lord um, speaking, um, and we'll maybe think about that more in a minute. Another similarity that we have is that this angel is holding a a little scroll. Um, It says, verse 2 there, he was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. Now, we've seen the scroll before as well, haven't we? You know, if you remember a few weeks ago, um, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And that scroll was like the the meaning of of human history. It was something that only Jesus, the Lamb, could could open, you know, could unravel the meaning of human history. So again, that's going to be um, a significant thing, given what happens. We'll come back to that. Um, And then you have this, um, 
sort of little um, strange thing, you know, the, the seven thunders spoke and John said, I was about to write, but uh, I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Now, there's been a lot of speculation as to what the, the, the seven thunders actually said. And um, I mean, I have no idea what they said, but I think it just focuses our attention on what has been revealed, you know, because we know from lots of places in the Bible that there are some things which we just don't know or don't know yet. But what we do know is what's been given to us. And so it should focus our attention on the things which have been revealed to us. Um, and it's the mystery. This is what it says in um, verse 7. Uh, in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. The mystery. What is the mystery of, of God? And this is actually something that we're going to be looking at more on Sunday morning, those of you who are coming on, on Sunday. Um, but uh, this is what it says in um, Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 1 verses 9 and 10 talks about the mystery uh, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ so that's the mystery is basically the redemption of all things through through Jesus Christ that's the mystery of God in a nutshell. And obviously there's a lot more you could say about that. Um, so that's the purpose, if you like, of the world, is the, the redemption through Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of all things. And so then um, the, uh, the angel says, or, or the voice says, sorry, go and take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel. And he takes the scroll and he says, take it and eat it. And he says, it will taste sweet in your, in your mouth, but then it will turn sour in your stomach. That's quite a strange thing to do, isn't it? What's going on here? But actually, it's, it's just a, um, picking up on what happened to Ezekiel the prophet. That's exactly what Ezekiel was told, and we won't go and look at the passage now. But if you look down at the bottom there, it says Ezekiel chapter 3. If you're interested, you could go and have a look at that. Um, later on but that's exactly what Ezekiel was told eat the scroll it's the words of the Lord and it's the kind of sim symbolic of the prophet taking on the words of the Lord before giving them to the people that's that's about eating them you know taking it on taking it on board so that it can be given and I think the whole thing with being the sweet and sour you know the word of the Lord we know as it, uh, David says Psalm 19 is sweeter than honey the law of the Lord is sweeter than honey. But we also know that not everyone likes it. Not everyone likes to hear it. And that's something we know from experience, isn't it? That we may, may love reading the Bible. We may love looking at what God has to say. But a lot of people don't like that. And if you try and tell them that, they get very offended. And I think that's what it's trying to capture there. Um, and it says at the end of that, that um, chapter, uh, verse 11, then I was told you must prophesy again about many people's nations, languages and kings. So that's what it is. It's prophecy. It's, it's just speaking God's words to, to people. And that was what John was told to do. John, the, who wrote Revelation. 
Uh, and so then, in this, the next part, uh, chapter 11, um, then he was given a measuring rod and talked about the, the worshippers around the temple. Um, but it says, do not measure the uh, outer courts because it has been given to the Gentiles who will trample on the holy city for 42 months. Uh, trampling is, again, it's all of these references in, uh, in Revelation. It, it comes up, this is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, verse 24. When I can uh, turn over the page, there we go. 21, verse 24, it says, um, They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled being trampled on by the Gentiles, or, or maybe you might say by the world. What's it to do with 42 months though? What's the deal with that? What does that represent? I found out something interesting, that there are the um, people of, of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, it's recorded in numbers that they stopped 42 times on their way to the Promised Land. Also, if you... Uh, work out a month as being 30 days, if you use that calculation, you multiply 42 by 30 and it comes out with 1,260 days, which is the, the number that um, the other number. So what we're being told here is something significant, that this is, John's using different ways of describing it, but he's basically talking about now, the time in between Jesus's first coming and his second coming. That's what he's talking about. It's just a, a figurative, symbolic way of referring to the time that we are living through. And that's what the Bible calls the end times. It's, it's not a sort of some special time near the end of time. It's, it's now. It's the time in between Jesus' first coming and his return. So what happens in this time? And he says, God um, appoints uh, two witnesses, it says, verse 3. I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy. Um, and um, again, there's references there to, to Zechariah, which you might like to, to look up as well if you're interested in, in this. I mean, there are more references, like I said, in Revelation to the Old Testament than there are verses. You know, it's, it's everywhere. Um, what does this represent? I think it represents the church. It represents God's faithful people. So John had been told, you must prophesy, you must witness. And I think this is also what God's people do. Um, so it says, um, for example, Jesus says to the apostles in, uh, in Acts, in uh, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. That's, that's our job, if you like, the church. As a church, we are witnesses of Jesus Christ. That's what we do. So then in this, um, it moves on. It says, when they finish their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Um, and their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, um, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, will gaze in their bodies and then they'll gloat over them. Now, is this, um, again, 
I'm not sure whether this is referring to a time after or actually someone suggested it could just be the same time. This could just be referring to the same kind of time, which is just to say that the church should always expect that opposition. Do you remember how John describes this time? Uh, chapter 1, verse 9 in Revelation. I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. Suffering and kingdom. Those two things always go together in the Christian life. And that's what we should expect, that it's not just about um, you know, proclaiming the Lord Jesus and everything being sweetness and light, but actually there will always be that opposition to the gospel. And it seems that even they, they conquered for a while, doesn't it? That they, um, they gloated over them and they celebrated for a while because they, they'd, um, they were killed. But after that time, uh, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. They were, they were vindicated in front of the world. So those who had been persecuted, who'd been killed, for witnessing were vindicated and it was public it was in front of it was in front of the whole world you think about what um, what it says for example in um, Psalm 23 a very familiar psalm but actually um, it says for example um, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies it's that vindication isn't it saying that actually God will vindicate those who trust in him. And that's exactly what will happen. That every wickedness against God's people will come to nothing in the end. Even if it may seem like they triumph, it will come to nothing. So I appreciate that there's been, as always, there's so much to say about Revelation. And I hope that it's not sort of overloading. But let's just pause as we come to the end of this and just think, let's draw out the things to remember, the things to think about and to, to learn about Revelation. What does this say about where we're, the time that we're living in now? Well, the first thing is that we don't know the meaning of every event. You know the, the big scroll from chapter five, the, the meaning of human history. No, we don't have that. We don't know, only Jesus knows about everything. But there is the little scroll and we've been given that. And so we can say, Although we may not know the meaning of everything, we can say to people, well, you need to turn from sin and turn to the Lord Jesus. That has been given to us to proclaim. And we can say the way that God acts in history in general. You know, that sometimes bad things do happen um, because of specific sins. I mean, I, I don't think we can say, not always, that happens specifically. But often, you know, that we know that uh, natural disasters, bad things, evil, is a judgment on sin, isn't it? We need to turn to God. That's what we need to proclaim. That's the message which we've been given to proclaim. And that's the second thing, that we are to be faithful witnesses in proclaiming that message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, we've been given this message. We've been given the message to say, it is through Jesus that we come to God. Only through Jesus, only through Jesus can we be forgiven and can we be cleansed from our sins. That's the message that only we as the church can proclaim. Now that, that's not a message out there in the world which they, which they believe or which they like. Which leads on to the third thing. It's a message that they don't want to hear. 
You see it is uh, in verse 10 there, in chapter 11. Uh, they tormented those who lived on the earth, the prophets. What does that mean? It means that people didn't want to hear the message. It means that, that you know, telling them about Jesus actually to them is like torment because they don't want to hear it. They'd rather not hear it. They'd rather just carry on in their sin and not hear the message about Jesus, not hear the message about God's judgment. But we are to say it anyway. That's the thing. We are to be witnesses anyway. And often we need to speak God's message to people who don't want to hear it. Uh, the fourth thing is not to worry if the wicked appear to gain over the church. I was just reading this morning uh, the uh, Open Doors update, um, the weekly Open Doors update, and they were talking about the church in China. And, you know, the church in China is very regulated, I believe. I think young people can't go to church, something like that. And, um, you know, it's, it's not as bad as it is in some countries. But, and, and you think, well, why, why is this happening? Why does the, 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 the enemy seem to have, uh, have some kind of sway over the church? have this power but this is the way that it is as we know through through history that there will be times when it seems like it has the victory evil has the victory but it doesn't that's the message of revelation it doesn't have the victory in the end and the fifth and final thing is that those who remain faithful will be vindicated and glorified those who remain faithful to Jesus it will be seen um, there will be vindication publicly. It will be seen that those people are, uh, belong to him and actually will be, as it says, you know, there's a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. And that's an encouragement to faithfulness, isn't it? Knowing that actually, whatever it may seem like here and now, we know that it is those who, who remain faithful to Christ, whatever the cost, who actually will, will wear the crown at the end, who will bear the crown, the victor's crown. And, um, and that's something that we need to, to keep in mind as we press on, knowing that it is difficult in the Christian life, isn't it? It is difficult, but we will wear the crown if we're faithful, if we carry on. So let's pray as we, as we draw to a close of this, uh, of this passage. So, Heavenly Father, we, uh, we do give you thanks, Lord, that although it seemed like uh, the godless triumph uh, sometimes, Lord, we thank you that that is not true in the end. We pray that as um, a church, as individuals, as, as your people, you would help us to be faithful in our witness to you. You would help us um, to speak about Jesus even when people don't want to hear. Uh, and we pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us to be faithful till the very end. And we pray, Lord, that um, even though uh, many people don't want to hear, we do pray, Lord, that this message about Jesus, would um, people would be willing to listen. And um, we do ask, Lord, that uh, as we pray for a great awakening, we do pray for many people to hear and respond to the message about Jesus. And uh, we just ask, Lord, by, by your Holy Spirit, that the message of our witness would be heard and uh, would be listened to. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.